This is OTR-FM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello and welcome. And before we meet this week's guest, I just want to take a moment to share a really inspiring book for anyone who struggles with making important decisions. It's called The Necktie and the Jaguar, and it's by a retired clinical psychologist, Jungian analyst and shamanic practitioner, Carl Greer. In addition to revealing how he tapped into the wisdom and power of unseen worlds for guidance and inspiration, Carl's fascinating memoir offers some really valuable keys and questions that inspire the kind of thinking that guides you effortlessly on your own path to transformation. You can check out that book at carlgreer.com. And now, joining me today to share the stories behind the 10 books that influenced him the most on his life journey is writer, teacher, proponent of positive change, and internationally acclaimed branding expert and leadership coach, Gary Zendersky, who also is an award-winning author, writer, um, three books, The Book of Zen, Stories and Inspiration for a Changing World, Zen Zone, Reaching a State of Positive Change, and now on Zen, The Path to Positive Change Begins Here. Gary Zendersky, welcome. Thank you, Sandy. So nice to be here. I love the way that you've parlayed your name into the titles of your books. I mean, how could you do otherwise, being a branding expert? You know, I got to say, it, it wasn't my original idea. You know, I worked in an ad agency and I was working on uh, my first book. And uh, somebody said, you know, you've got a great name. Like, it, it is the book of Zen. And I thought, okay, well, it was years later. And I recalled that conversation. And I thought, hey, I am a branding guy. Let's put it on the book. Okay. And, and I kind of got rolling on it. I think that's probably the end of it, though. Three are probably enough. Well, I don't know. I like it. I mean, you know, you can't forget, you can't forget you and you can't forget <laughs> the name of the book, can you? Or no, the author. I, that's hopefully not. Yes. It's been good. Yeah. It's been a good run. Okay. So when it came to compiling your 10 best books, you said, if I have to give this assignment a label, it would be spirituality through the lens of self-discovery. Explain what you mean. You know, what I mean is that I think our, all of our connections to a higher power always, whatever we want to call it, begins internally. And, and that is getting to know yourself. And it is an easy thing to say. And you think, my gosh, I walk around with myself all the time. I should know me by now. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's easier said than done. And so when I look through the lens of self-discovery, I think not only do you see 
what's going on inside of you, but you have you have a chance to glimpse at the bigger picture in the world. And that's where the divine holds its presence. And that's where uh, we all kind of aspire to get to. And, and the other thing I'll say to that is because I think it's all kind of connected. And in, in my world and in branding, everything matters. Everything is connected. Nothing's in isolation. Is that we are part of the process. And through all of our own self-discovery, we end up connecting dots with everybody else who's on the same journey. And we don't always recognize it. And sometimes we get too busy to think about it. But the reality is, I think it's, it's always the on button's always on as far as learning about ourselves. Yeah, for sure. At what stage of your life did the light turn on for you? Oh, boy. I, I think it's I, of the 10 books, probably halfway through the 10, uh, when I started to work on my own writing, uh, that's when it changed for me. And it was a couple of things going on simultaneously. This would be probably my second or third company where I was just, you know, traveling around the country, going to different boardrooms, working on branding and marketing. And I realized that I had heard the same pitch, seen the same package, talked to the same CEOs, heard the same angst and felt it in the room so many times that I, I just kind of sat back a little bit and I became more of an observer. And in that calmness, I, I kind of found inspiration. And two things happened because of it. One is I, I was able to actually start to write. Maybe I was channeling. I don't even know. But I started to write my own stuff. And the other thing is I started to be a calmer presence uh, in my business. And, and I became, I got more coaching done that way than trying to always be on and always being the presenter and always doing the ads. I was actually listening a lot more and learning a lot more. So that would be, in terms of chrono chronology, probably the early 2000s or something like that. Mm. Well, as a branding expert, I mean, words would be very important to you. Mm. Um, obviously, they convey so much. Um, did you have any idea that you were going to also write books? No, you know, that's, I, I shortened the name originally. My company is called Zen Marketing, S-Z-E-N, because people couldn't spell Sandersky. And, and if you have a name like mine, you spell it a lot. Uh, so it was just a kind of a shortened thing, but I didn't think there would be any books coming out of it. Uh, I started writing, you know, emails and stuff to my clients, just inspirational things for my team. And people were sending it out to other people and they were saying, could I get more of this? And it became a thing. And after so many years of adding people to the reading list, uh, a friend of mine who has a show on PBS called Between the Lines with Barry Kibrick said, you know, I like these things, Gare. He said, if you ever put it into a book, I'll get you on the show. And that was the catalyst. And, and I, I did. I, it, took, it took a lot longer than I thought to do, but it was well worth it. Did it surprise you that so many people liked your words of wisdom and, uh, you know, the positive change that you're always writing about and encouraging? Well, you know, it's, it's something that everybody can use all the time. And I wouldn't say I'm a cheerleader by any stretch because we all kind of get, you know, to where we're kind of unbalanced and we get off sometimes and everything's not always positive. But the point is that there always has to be a direction that eventually turns us to something positive. Because I really believe you can't stay in the ennui too long. Uh, you have to kind of dig yourself out. So I practice what I preach as much as I can. 
I have some bad days and I read my own stuff sometimes. Or I go, now that you've got me digging up these books over time, I've got all kinds of things I can pull from again. Mm. So when you compiled your list, one to 10, is that in a chronological order or? In, in some ways it is more about where I was in my life at the time. And, and I, what really struck me, what I was reading. And I, again, as I, I was saying to you early before we went on the air, some of these things, I, I don't remember reading them, but I know that it was important to me. And as I reread some of these and made some comments, which I put on the website, I, I, I rediscovered it. And so it, you can kind of circle back. And, and I, I re remember where I was. Like this, this first book was The Art of Loving, right? By Eric mm -hmm. Fromm. And the original one I had, I had the hard copy and it was, I was really precious. I always think books are so special. And I try to buy the hard copy and I try to get them signed by the author and I go through the whole thing. And, and I love all of the people that you've had on your show, incidentally. They're amazing. Uh, that was, to me, I was the only person reading that at the, in the student union at school I was going to because it, it called to me. Something about love that, uh, and this guy's a, psych a psychiatrist, so it was coming at a, a self-discovery place that was the, the, the beginning seeds of that spiritual journey because I was learning about love from the inside out. So what drew you to the book? Was it a recommendation or was it the title? Uh, I heard people talking about it in, in school. I was originally an English major. I was going to be a teacher. It turned out I ended up being a teacher, but you know whether I know English or not is still debatable. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just heard about it and, and I, I got it and I told other people about it or I passed the book along. Uh, it's Things can go through campuses. Then this was the 70s, right? So it's a little bit different. We don't have social media. So it was what you were holding in your hand. It's what the books you had that were in your backpack that you could share and talk about. Mm. So how big of an impact did it make on you? I mean, was it one of those, um, oh, my God, epiphanies galore? Or was it, it a slow burn kind of thing? It was, it was a kind of a slow burn. I think uh, I got the gist of it, you know, talking about how, you, how the difference between loving oneself and loving the divine presence and, and uh, it sparked some other books that came after that of the same ilk. Uh, transactional analysis was a big deal in, in the 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, as people were talking about, you know, the power of one and, and how you connect with other people. And there was a lot of different theories on it. I found it fascinating because uh, I had never taken that in school. All my education, and I went through prep school for college, we didn't have any psychology books. I mean, it was English and it was Latin and it was some other stuff. But uh, so this was all new reading to me and I, I was loving it. And I so I read a bunch of books in the same genre. Hmm. So book number two, Calling, Finding and Following an Authentic Life by Greg Levoy. Yeah, you know, this, this is uh, interesting. Greg Levoy, I met the man. Uh, he used to be a writer for uh, USA Today newspaper. And he spoke at a group called the Inside Edge. That I remember I that. You may have been there a couple of yeah. times. They used to have this at the, uh, the University of California in Irvine, which is where I teach, uh, at the faculty uh, lounge, I guess. And people would come in, uh, some great people, some famous people that would come in and talk to us. And Greg was on that list and came in. And uh, I was fascinated because his whole book, was about idiosyncrasies. 
uh, and also synchronicities. So things that were weird to him that would happen to other people that he could share stories with. The one, one example that he used in the story in the presentation that got me to buy the book is he kept on finding playing cards on his hikes, you know, different cards, like legitimate playing cards. But one came up time and time again. He would find these in these random places, the queen of spades. And he had a bag. He had a baggie at the presentation showing these cards. He goes, I'm not making this stuff up, guys. Uh, and I thought that was really fascinating. And his point, the, really the bottom line of the, of the book is, if you, if you gotta pay attention if you wanna know your calling. You know, you're not, someone's just not gonna give you a call and say it's time. You have to listen to the signs. You have to look for the signs. And so when anybody's not sure of what they wanna be when they grow up, I recommend that book because this guy went on a pretty cold journey all over the place. But even while he was looking for something else, he would find these things and they ended up having a lot of meaning to him and ultimately got me to buy the book too. So it had some meaning for me. It's interesting what has meaning. I mean, as you're telling that story, I'm thinking of a book by a guy called Robert Kemp, who has um, a website called, uh, I think it's seventhfunders.com. And he has this whole ancient system of called, kind of divination, um, a bit like astrology, but not astrology. Mm -hmm. And it's all done with playing cards. And the playing cards, the 52 cards, um, plus the joker, are spread out through the year and they're allocated to different days. And if you actually follow this system, you find out the queen of spades, you know, may have two or three birthdays associated with it. But I would immediately want to know if I know any people who are the queen of heart, uh, spades so that I could see the role that they might play in my life. Interesting. That is yeah, interesting. it's fascinating. He has uh, two books. One's called The Love Cards. And he yeah. looks at the cards of you and everybody in your life, any kind of relationship, and tells you about karmic ties and, um, you know, some of the easy aspects and the hard aspects between you. And he also has one called Cards of Destiny. And, you know, I'm into a lot of that stuff. You know, I've studied astrology for years and numerology, and uh, it's very accurate, very accurate. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes the simplest tools, well, you, you got to back up. You have to believe it yeah. and then you'll see it. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's not a happening thing. Well, I have to test it first before I believe it. Right. And I did. I tested those cards with everybody I knew. And yeah, it was pretty darn accurate. Yeah. That's so I, I'd love to go back to this guy and say, hey, look at the people. You know, here's some birth dates that are associated yeah. with the Queen of Spades. Do you know anyone? And what role did they play in your life? That's I'm going to check this out. That's fascinating. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to book three. Coming home to who you are, discovering your natural capacity for love, integrity, and compassion. Yeah, this is, this is a small little book by uh, David Rico. Mm -hmm. And... I got a lot of dog-eared pages in this thing. Uh, I think, you know, he has basically, uh, coming home to who you are is a connection of, of all of the pieces that make us up, meaning uh, our values, our belief systems, our commitment to ourselves, to our family. Uh, he talks about this is a way, he's, it, and, he, and he gets to 
he kind of coalesces it into a kind of a discussion on karma, which is everything matters and then it matters again. Like there, everything that we do, everything that we think has a consequence. And coming, coming home to who you are is really understanding that the power of that is immense. And if we could just tap into it and maybe control those thoughts and control those feelings, uh, we could create good karma. And, and we all know that there's this thing when we get on a roll, things, good things start happening to us. It's because we maybe started with a good thing, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's not my law, it's God's law. That's just the way things work. And, and so you can, start to, you can start to activate a series of things just based on something that maybe starts really inside of you in a small way, but you connect it somehow and turn it into a positive uh, aspect, which becomes a karmic event that that breeds other kind of karmic events and i was fascinated by the book in fact i think i might have told you when i went to get this book off my shelf because it was one that influenced me i started reading it again uh and you can read it you can just pick it up like anywhere you want and just say okay become as real as you can be all right <laughs> simple okay i i'm in i'm into that i've sold me i'm gonna go be as real as i can be hmm. yeah so where were you in your life when you found that book? This was a little bit later, you know, uh, a part of a, a, a friendship that I had that's still ongoing. Uh, and I dated the woman for a long time who was a psychologist. And she had a lot of these books on her shelf already. Whether she read them or not, I don't, I don't know. But I would just be looking along the, and I'd say, okay, where did this? She goes, yeah, I think I saw that guy and he did a don and yada, yada, yada. And so I would pick these things up. And so in my life, I was still drawn to like the original premise for self-discovery was the psychological aspects of our being, which is understanding how to separate the ego from the id and, and all the things that Freud talked about. And these guys all keep talking about it, but they put, as I got to be more mature in my spiritual journey, I would find authors like Rico that kind of put a spiritual bent on it and, and added the concept of karma to a psychological profile discussion. And I've never known anybody that had done that before. And it, and it was a really nice bridge in a time where I was still open. I was still discovering. I wasn't settled in any relationship or anything. I was still searching. Uh, and to some extent, I still am. Although I, I, I'm much more grounded, and this has been years ago since I started pick this book up. I forget when it came out. I don't know if I can tell you real quick. I think it was. Uh, let's see, 2012. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that would be about right. Yeah. So uh, how much of what you were reading um, and being impacted by did you then kind of parlay into the work that you were doing? Oh boy, that's this that's a million dollar question because that is the really the inspiration for all of this. In my work, I, I don't know how I luck of the draw uh, and all the kinds of different experiences I've had working, I ended up working with organizations and individuals going through some kind of transition, either a new product or a brand extension, a line extension, something like that. And in the process of transition, uh, there's a lot of angst created. There's a lot of, of fear of change, not just that the company has to make a product different or go to a different market, but the people have to go with it. Sometimes it involves a merger and sometimes it involves 
of something to do with the management team. But inevitably, the CEO or the owners would be the ones that were impacted the most. And I, they found me to be a willing listener uh, to talk about the transitions. And I would, I just captured all of that information and I just started to talk about being a transition expert. And so I started writing about change. I started talking about change. And sure enough, if you ask anybody, are you going through a transition? They're gonna say yes. And so that's as a marketing position and it was perfect for the company. So I hope I answered your question, but I'm, I'm kind of, what I'm reading is also connected to what I'm doing. Yeah. And I, I will inevitably quote a book to a client or I'll put it into a, a, a weekly blog or something that I'm writing for somebody because I do a lot of ghostwriting. And, and uh, it works because change is something that's a constant in the universe. We all have to go through it. We all do it. Sometimes we can control it. Sometimes we can't. And that's, those are really incidentally the gist of all my, my books is how to deal with change when it, it's your turn to make something happen or when something happens to you. And so it's, it's all, all connected. I can't separate the books now. I couldn't. They're like, they're like glue. They're like part of my psyche. So. Why do you think we all are so afraid of change? You know, I, I have to admit that I don't know the answer, but I would say that the answer is it's different for everybody. And, and I think that's why we haven't universally figured it out because our change, a change for you and a change for me, we might see the same thing and that could change our lives instantaneous. Think about 9-11, something that it was a global event oh my gosh, there's so many repercussions of that, uh, that even if you weren't there, it, it changed you. And in, in that context, uh, with all of those interpretations, there's no way to say there's a common rule of thumb for why people are resistant. They don't like it. They, uh, it's, it's like, it's not comfortable. We spend so much of our life trying to just, just get to where we can control our lives on a daily basis that we make enough money to pay for the rent that we can do this, that we can go there. The kids go to college, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and so you could do that and you can, you, life is kind of linear that way, but the books and everything that we're talking about in spirituality is way more holistic. It's, it's all over the place. And when you add in quantum mechanics and a bunch of other stuff, you can mm -hmm. see that, you know, change is inevitable and constant and uh, I've just learned and I've I think I've taught my clients or helped them to understand that, you know, there's a way that even if it comes at you, you can still be the best judge of what to do next. And, and that's a lot of power in that. And that's fun and work because I've got clients now that are 10, 11 year relationships, because when I first met them, they were just starting and they were going through a transition and I helped them get there. And you know what? They're still changing. And mm. we had the same kind of conversations we had 10 years ago. You know, I had a lot of change in my life, and I remember when I made a major change, which was to leave England and go to America, not knowing anybody at all and having nobody with me. Um, but one of the things I learned, and I learned very quickly, I became aware that it's human nature to make ourselves as comfortable as we can in any situation. And that took all the fear out of it because I thought, mm -hmm. well, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm going to do. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I do know that I'm going to make myself as comfortable as possible, as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And that allowed the fear to dissipate. 
Okay, so did you have a trick mechanism for making yourself comfortable? Did you do some self-talk or some meditation or what? No, no, it, it was never, ever cut and dried. It was never a sequence of events, mm. things I had to do. I just knew that with my personality, the person that I am, I knew that I would naturally be making moves to make friends as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So that would take away the loneliness, you know, and being right. in a strange place and would answer a lot of the things that go along with change. Um, and I think it was just a trust in that, you know, understanding that you can deal with this because you know how to make yourself comfortable. You know, you just said the key word, I think, which is uh, the trust in, in yourself. And that's what brings the comfort because you can take, you can take on anything that comes at you. And that's, that's an inner confidence, a sense of self esteem, you know, being grounded, you want whatever we, whatever you want to call it. But I, I love that because it's, it's like what people do use meditation for now. It's like, how can I get, back in touch with my inner self. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, though, you learn that comfort zone is, if you can expand that, it, when, and you can only do it by through your thinking and through your meditation, boy, you've, you've actually start to get your hands around the edges of the world that we live in. And yeah. pretty soon, everything's comfortable. And you don't mind getting on a plane last minute. You don't mind flying to Ooglavupia because you've never been there. And yeah, you don't speak the language. But hey, I'm going to go because someone said it's going to be a good time. So there you go. Yeah, and, and there you are, and you make it so. You make yeah, it sure. so. Yeah, yeah. So book number four, um, this one has come up several times on people's lists, no surprise, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, A Practical Guide to the Fulfillment of Your Dreams yeah. by Deepak. I, I got, I wrote the smallest amount on, on this book because it had maybe and still has the largest impact. There's just too much packed in here. I've, I've never, I've not read on all the books that I've even talked about or, or, or thought about reading, seen anything so intense and dense in terms of what he's really talking about. He took a, a complicated, convoluted, you know, a perspective by the universe and turned it into seven simple spiritual laws of which I happen to think that all the other people that write about it, and I include myself, have, have stolen some piece of his work somewhere along the way because it's that brilliant. And, and I, I think he kind of led the way uh, of all the, the, the new age gurus in, in terms of making it easy for us to understand. And you know, what he, what he, one of the things he says in the book over and over again is what you just mentioned about comfort. So basically, we have two ways to we can be. The, we have the feeling of comfort and the feeling of discomfort, and and that's it. And if you think about life being that simple, yet all the complexities of what he's talking about—quantum mechanics and Vedic science and all of the other things that go into the spiritual world as we know it—and all the philosophers and all the prophets that have practiced that same uh, view of the life and, and the world that we're in. Uh, it's, it's amazing that uh, he could take it and, and just put it into such a simple way that even a Polish guy like me can really get it and understand it. And uh, when, he, when he came out with the audio version of that, I, I gobbled him up. I was passing him out to friends and stuff. And I still have people that listen to it because uh, you, in any given day, if you're in a car, you listen to one of those laws, 
you kind of get a refresher course and everything that's probably everything that's on your website. Is, there's yes. a piece of him in there somewhere. Oh, right? I'm sure. And um, comfort and discomfort. I mean, that, that's the GPS. That's the inner GPS oh. system. You know, it's a, if it's comfortable, go with it. If it's not, don't. It's that simple. It's, you know, and, it, and why do we make it so complex? I have no idea. I think we just, you know, like to get our teeth into something and solve an issue. You know, let's have a problem and solve it. And then I'll have another one and solve that and so on. You know, you know it, problems are such are, are so inherent in transition and change that the first thing I do when I meet a client that's going through change, I'll say, tell me the problem. Because something has to be going on that you mm -hmm. got to fix. Yeah. And, and, and that's where people, they gravitate to that. Okay, then they get stuck in the problem. You got to identify it. But you don't need to live in it. Uh, you just need to know what got you there. Yeah. So book number five, The Magic of Believing, published, wow. uh, written by Claude Bristol Claude and Bristol. published in 1948. Yeah. Claude uh, wrote this book after he got out of the war and I had never heard of it. And so, again, this tracks my life. Uh, I was in Los Angeles. Uh, this would be like 19, mid-90s and working in an ad agency and had my own company down in Santa Monica. And I ended up joining forces with a company in Orange County. And so I moved myself and my family to Orange County and became president of an ad agency up here. This would be like 1992 or something like that. And the, the, there were three principles, and the, the founder was a guy named Alvin Morrison. Uh, he he's in, lives in Orange County. He's black, and he was gay, and he was very successful. He drove a Bentley, and he said, I want you to be the president of my company. And so I get, okay, I got all the signs. I get, this is a good thing, and I want you to join this club. And he gave me all this stuff, and and he said, and you can, you can keep your own clients too. So I kept my own, I just folded it into the new firm. So that's all backdrop for, like, I got to learn from this guy. How could you be, first of all, being black and gay in Orange County in the 90s was not like a popular thing to be or do. And, and yet he pulled it off. And he had tremendous amount of friends. And uh, he was just a wonderful human being. Unfortunately, he passed a few years ago. But he would talk about The Magic of Believing by a guy named Claude Bristol. He said, I read this book. It changed my life. And I want you to read it. And so I read it. I read it. I read it. I read it. I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. And he would quote this guy all day long. Now, in the, in the genre of spirituality books, it's maybe not as spiritually oriented because Claude comes at it from kind of a practical perspective, which incidentally served Alvin very well. But the, the beauty of this story and how... Oh man, how we're all connected to these threads of, of spiritual connectedness is Alvin had, like told you, drove a Bentley. He had a beautiful house looking out of the ocean in San Clemente. He had everything that you could want. And so his birthday was coming up and it was his, I think, a, I think it was his 60th birthday. It was a big deal for him. And uh, I just had no idea what to get this guy. I mean, there was nothing I could... I couldn't write a check big enough to give him something he didn't already have. And so I had, I was thinking, okay, maybe sometimes I write poems for people or do something special like that. But I started looking around and uh, 
I didn't know this at the time, but I walked into this used bookstore and I found the an original copy of the book, hardcover by Claude Bristol in like 1948 with his signature on it saying, best wishes, Claude Bristol. And I thought, hot dog, this is it. Okay. And it was $1.25 at the store. And I, I just packed it up in a box. Now, then he has this party. And unbeknownst to me, the theme of the party was the magic of believing. So everybody that came in got a copy of the book and got a, a, a copy of the tape, the audio version. And the whole celebration was about Alvin and how the power of believing can get you to where you want to go. And when he opened my gift, he let out a yelp like you could not believe. He goes, <laughs> are you friggin' kidding me? He goes, I have been looking for a book with this guy's signature on it across the country. I didn't care what it was going to cost. I've been looking for it. I should put this, I should hermetically seal this. Why is it just sitting in a box like this? I go, you're supposed to have it. That's why I found it. I don't know how else to explain it, but that's the way it worked. And so that power, his magic of believing got me to believe it. I found the book. I was drawn to it. Like so many karmic good events happen. This was one of them. And it was a big deal. I still, I still get, I get goosebumps just thinking about it because you never know where you're going to find something that's going to change someone's life. Yeah. And that certainly did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Manifestation, yeah. eh? Oh, man. Brilliant. You, you think about it, it'll happen. It will happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Another one who makes things happen, Mike Dooley, Infinite Possibilities, The Art of Living Your Dreams. You know, I don't even have to look at my notes for Mike Dooley. He's got so many books uh, and he's so talented and he has such a simple, you know, ongoing premise to everything that thoughts become things. And I, he's been in the movie, The Secret, and he's and he written Infinite Possibilities. He has a lot of interesting notions on the afterlife or the before life, depending on how you talk about it. Uh, I think Gene Houston is somebody that we used to see at the Inside Edge yeah. talks about uh that as well in her view of, of the, the pre-life. So I just really subscribe to those notions that we have the power within to change the world. And we start by changing our own world. And it starts and it all begins with the thought. And it seems so simple that it can't possibly work. However, that's, that's the way God is. I mean, you get simple things. Like if you think that we were made in the image and uh, likeness of our creator, which so many religions talk about. We have that power instilled in us already to mm. create. And what Dooley has done is he just, he kind of packaged it in a way that makes it real easy to do and real easy to apply. And he continues to write uh, really miraculous stuff in his daily book called uh, Notes from the Universe, uh, mm. which I continue to read. But, uh, He's, he's an excellent author. I, I've, I've taken a lot of his stuff. I've tried to extrapolate. Actually, he's, his thoughts on how we start uh, by choosing the parents that we want to have and diving into life that way. Uh, and, and, and the fact that this might just be an, a big ride at Disneyland, like planet Earth is an amusement park for us to have manifestations of, of whatever we want. I mean, that's a pretty fun novel way to see the world and i kind of like it and who's to say he's wrong uh, absolutely yeah i actually think he's probably right i'm gonna i'm gonna go with that for a while until someone proves me wrong yeah i don't think anyone will <laughs> so book number seven beauty 
The Invisible Embrace by John O'Donoghue, 2003. You know, uh, John O'Donoghue, let's see, I've got to keep on, okay, beauty. This, uh, this book, uh, I, I, he's one of the most prolific, best uh, versed writer and theologian I've ever read. Uh, he passed away in his early 40s, uh, just died in his sleep. But he, he wrote a number of books. I've read them all. And this particular one, uh, The Invisible Brace, Beauty, is at the end of the book, you find out that what he's been talking about all along is God. And, and he does it in such a way by understanding the nature of how color works, how sound works, how we interact with nature. Uh, he he's from Ireland. He's got this great Irish accent, you know, and, and I, listen to his, I listen to his Irish brogue and he's just got it right on, you know. And he talks about death and he talks about life and he talks about, you know, finding a dead person next door and saying, and his father says, she's gone. He goes, well, if it's not going to happen to all of us, because we should be talking about this shit like more and more, like, come on. And so he has a really good sense of humor, but he, he brings it all together and saying that, you know, there's a, there's a power in the universe that, that is transformative and you can tap into it. And it comes through the, through the way of nature. And he was, uh, he was on an interview show, the guy I mentioned earlier, Barry Kibrick and Between the Lines. And I saw his interview and I thought, okay, I, I like this guy. I got the book. I loved it. I called Barry. I said, I'd like you to make an introduction. But that's when I found out that he had passed away, almost the same day that I made the call. And so I never got a chance to meet the guy, and I could have, but I was so taken by his books and, and his powerful writing that if, sometimes I listen to his audio tapes, and, I, and I, it's so brilliant, I think, I am just a hack by comparison to this guy. So I, I, I went to his funeral. And I participated in the mass, uh, as you can imagine, a big Irish Catholic uh, ceremony. Uh, and I met a lot of his friends from, from back in Ireland because he had one service here in the United States and one there. And I, then I started picking up his stuff. So I've never let him go. He's part of me all the time. I, people that, you know, if you're, if you're into wanting to see another view of the world, coming at it through nature's way and also being a priest, a former priest, he's got a got a bent on the Bible and its implications that you have. And he kind of ties them all together nicely in this book. I highly recommend it. There's immortality there, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Right there. absolutely. Yeah, we've had a few of his books mentioned. I don't think we've had this one mentioned on our list before, but uh, his yeah. name has cropped up quite a few times. Yeah, I'm a big fan. A mm. big fan. Okay, so book number eight, uh, and you prefaced your description of this by saying it might seem strange to include my own book, but it was cathartic and enlightening to grow through yes. the process and be able to capture my own sense of purpose. So tell yeah. us about this. Yeah, book. you know, I think there's, uh, if you have an artist or an artistic tendency, whether it's painting or drawing or singing or music or writing or whatever it is, and you find that it makes you, you come alive. You, you, you tend to, to our earlier discussion, it makes you comfortable. It mm -hmm. gets you grounded. You go back and back to it. So I started writing 
this goes back to my the days when I met Alvin and the, the magic of believing. I started writing things to the team. We had an agency that only had nine people when I joined. He wanted to grow the company. We had 60 when I left. And, and we had become pretty large and pretty successful. And so as we got bigger, I started, as the president, I started writing these little gems, I thought, you know, just things about my life, things, inspirational things. And I put them in this book called, oop, I love the title, okay, you can see it. No, of, I can't see it. Hang on, maybe, oh, okay. Out of mind, out of, bit, out of sight. Okay, out of mind, out of sight. Which I love the play on words on, because that is, it's used, the, the expression is out of sight, out of mind, but I think it's really true, more true, out of mind, out of sight. Anyway, that uh, never got really published, but it was the fodder for the book of Zen. And, and so as I started, I continued to write, even after I left that company and started another company, I started writing a story once a week. And it was my therapy. Every Sunday afternoon, about two o'clock, I would sit down with a glass of wine, get my computer out. Did you mean bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> get your computer out in the bedroom. I <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my uh, I can't even say her name because she'll start talking to me. Uh, but uh, so, so your version of Siri or something? Yes, something like that. Yes. Okay. Uh, so anyway, on Sundays, and I would just write whatever called to me. Usually, it was something an event that would happen. Sometimes it was uh, very uh, just simple, like let's go out and celebrate New Year's or let's go do something really good. And I had a number of readers that started to grow over the years. And I got so many of them that when I told you a, a little bit a while ago, a little while ago that I was asked to put these stories into a book, I started with Out of Mind, Out of Sight, what I already had, and I added to it, and it became the Book of Zen. And the Book of Zen, uh, you can see all the marks through there. So it's been marked up many times and it's it's always on my shelf and I, I actually read my own stuff to kind of help me feel better because I figured if I got through something before and I wrote about it maybe it'll be the catalyst to get me through this next thing and so and I think that's true for anybody that journals you know and says it happens to be something that became kind of a popular book uh, and was easy to write because I was just doing it once a week and after three or four years, you have a lot of stuff. And so authors that go through and just close off the doors and get the blinders on and just power through a book, and it takes sometimes months, sometimes years, uh, I don't think I have that kind of tenacity or energy. But so my style works, and I continue to write a new story every, every week as it goes. Uh, and now I've got book, three books filled with these stories, and they're all about the same thing. But the, but the point is why why it was so cathartic for me is that uh, for a long time, I thought I was just talking to myself. And as people would read it and respond, they would share things in their life that they said, you must have been thinking about me when you wrote this. And, and that's the most common response I get when I write a story is that you had, you know, something I don't know, you know about me, don't you? Cause this is calling to me right now. And I think that is really just a great compliment to get. And it's an indication that I'm on the right path and, and I continue to do it. And then that gives me comfort. That gives me a lot of joy. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll have you a fourth book, but you never know. You never know. 
So book number nine comes up again and again, and it's absolutely beautiful book, The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself, Michael Singer. You know, this is, this book is heavy. I, I, and it's not very heavy to, to hold. Uh, it's, it's, but I had to read it a couple of different times. And, and then on the cover, it says, read this book carefully and you will get more than a glimpse of eternity. That's by Deepak Chopra. All right, so the endorsement was great. And this is another book that came off the shelf of the, the person that I was seeing in my life, who's a psychologist. And, and you know, I, I think the, the best thing I got out of the book, if, if, having read it a couple of times, is that we are our worst enemy when it comes to being free. We put, we put our own limitations on, our own self-deflating, uh, uh, limiting beliefs. Uh, we package up our, our, our personality and our angst and all of our tension into stress that keeps us from doing anything. And what this book tried to help is like, you, you, that's all created by your mind. And just as much as it's created and causing you issues and discomfort, you can actually switch that and let yourself go a little bit and create comfort and find that zone. And then he was, he's, he talked a lot about that. And, and I, again, it's, it reminds me of, of dealing in the image and likeness of our creator. You know, if, if God had a, has given us the power to create, why in the world would we manifest stuff in our heads or think about things that just aren't any fun to think about? They're only problems and issues. And, and, and the one thing about worry, as Walt Disney said, it's a terrible waste of imagination. And, and so we do that. We all do it. I still do it, you know, and I know I'm doing it, but I, sometimes it's hard to stop. Uh, but that is why, you know, the, for those of us that are through self-discovery, through that lens, are actually on a spiritual path, you, you get back to it a little bit faster. You can self-correct a little bit smarter. Uh, you don't spend so much time in the bad places. And I think, you know, maybe do you ever get to a perfect nirvana kind of state? Maybe. Sometimes we do. Uh, can that be lasting forever? I, I don't know. There's a lot of influences in the, in the, in the world that will hit you. It's hard to stay isolated and, and keep that. So rather than try to hide out from it and get on a mountaintop somewhere and hide in the cave and be connected to God that way, it's best to be connected through the inside and just take that power with you wherever you go. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I got from this book. And, uh, and, then, and it is heavy to get to that because I gave you my interpretation of it. I'm sure your, your other people that have talked about this have other versions of the same thing. And that, I think that's the, that speaks to the power of the writer. He was able mm -hmm. to string together a lot of stuff that you go, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And that's the power of it. And somebody who does that for me is the last author, Mark Nepo, The Book of Awakening, Having the Life You Want by Being Present to the Life You Have. Yes. I love Mark Nepo's work. I... I, I, I wasn't aware of Mark Nepo. Okay, so uh, I'll tell you how I became aware. There's a, let's see, I'm a branding guy. So I was working with a guy up in Northern California on a branding project and we became friendly. And he's written a book and I've written a book and we talk sometimes and then we'd come down to Southern California, we'd meet up. 
And one day he calls me and said, I put your name down for this place in Mexico called Modern Elder Academy. I go, what in the heck is the Modern Elder? He says, it's brand new. It's about people that are going through changes in their life and looking for what to do in the next chapter. He said, it's by invitation only. It's in the beta. It's a, it's a, it's a school to help people kind of navigate through change in, in their elder years. And it has a philosophical bent to it and a spiritual one. And I put your name down. You can't say no, you got to go. And it's free. You just got to get yourself there. And so I went down to Mexico, Cabo San Lucas way. And I stayed uh, in a mansion on the ocean with 10 other people that I had no idea who they were. We all were there at the same time and hosted by a guy named Chip Connolly, who's written a number of books, very prolific and very successful, who started the program. Long story short is, you know, uh, Mark Nepo was Chip's mentor. And so he ended up becoming one of the speakers at an event for the modern elder. And, and so then the other thing I should say is that the guy that introduced me to this whole thing and how I ended up liking Mark Nepo and buying his book is these 10 people that I met are now like I fell in love with them within the first week. And, and we, we had, we, our curriculum for that week was really great. It was meditation. It was self-awareness. And so we would meditate every morning. I'm honestly, I'm not a meditator. I don't often have the patience for it, uh, but I learned because I was in good company and we were all different people. There were doctors, there were professors, there were people that were Google executives, you know, they were coming from all over the place, all kind of sharing this 50, 60 year old kind of like, what am I going to do next kind of thing? Uh, and it was amazing. And I made some great friends and that, that book, as soon as I heard Mark talk about it, I said, I got to get that. And I know he wrote it to be read as one story a day. I couldn't put it down. I just went through it. And I got, as with all the books that I read, I'm just writing in there, writing notes, and I will still go back to him. He's brilliant. And as being a cancer survivor, he's got a piece of the spiritual pie that very few people can see. And I think through that lens, he's just brilliant and has changed a lot of lives, mine being one. Yeah. Um, what he does for me is, you know, he wrote that book, One Story a Day. He d he's done others where it's like one thought a week. Mm -hmm. He silences me. Mm. And anyone who can silence me and send me in and just be pondering you know, what it is that they've said, that, that does it for me every time. Wow. That's interesting. Because mm -hmm. uh, you're right. I've known you a while. You, you, have, you have strong opinions on things. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and I like to hear them. I like to hear them. But, yeah, if, you can some, if someone can turn you inward a little bit. Yeah, and make you think yeah. and, and shift your perceptions a bit or even just – well, what do I really think about this? Yeah. You know, those kinds of philosophical questions. Um, yeah, I, that's what I love about his work, that he yeah, stops me. I, yeah, and again, like being a cancer survivor, when you go through that kind of gauntlet, yeah. uh, trusting in your own sense of self and spiritual connectedness, boy, it is powerful, and you can't argue with the results. No. It's, it's quite amazing. Mm -hmm. 
So that's your 10 books. What are you reading now? Oh, you'll love this. Uh, it's totally antithetical to everything we've been talking about. It's called Lamb, the, uh, the Gospel According to Biff. Okay, I don't have it in front of me. But Sounds like a comic. It's a novel, and it's about Biff, who is uh, Jesus's best friend uh, in the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And he, it just gives a perspective to what life was like with, with the Savior. Uh, and it's all biblical, but it's very uh, irreverent. It's, uh, it's sarcastic. Uh, it's funny. One example is this guy, Biff, who tells Jesus what to do. And Jesus constantly performing miracles, you know, as a kid, not even knowing what he's doing. You know, he's a little six years old. He's making things happen. And, and Biff, in the meantime, is really, this is going to sound really... Uh, uh, Irreverent. Irreverent, yes. <laughs> he's got the hots for the Virgin Mary. Uh, as a as a little kid, he just can't he can't take his eyes off her, and and so that's that's what I'm reading, and that came to me through another connection through a person I just met said we were talking about just like you and I talk about spirituality. He says I think you might like this. It's totally on the other side of the of, of the of the spectrum, but within it are some are some nuggets and I just started it so I can't highly recommend it or say it's bad but I am laughing as I'm going through it uh it's a it's a fun read I'll have a check that one out so I want to talk a little bit about branding um yes. because I mean we're all branding ourselves all the time and Everything we do, everything we say, you know, every move we make, in a way we're branding ourselves. And often branding ourselves in a way that maybe is not the best way to brand ourselves or certainly isn't how we want to be seen. What attracted you to branding? And what is it that keeps you in that arena? You know, that <clears throat> that's an excellent question. Because uh, I, I wouldn't have considered myself a branding person when I – Early in my career, I was a, I was a writer and I worked for the LA Times and some stuff like that. But once I got into the ad agency business, I started seeing how creatively uh, ideas can come to life. And the ones that were the best, in my view, were the ones that were consistent and were authentic. And so I stuck with that. And one of the things, all these books that we've been talking about have an authenticity about it coming from the author. And so I try to bring that to my to my level of work in advertising. And I didn't call it branding at the time, although that's what it was. I was just calling kind of getting the strategic underpinnings right. In order to do a good idea, you have to have the foundation done. And that's where branding does all the hard lifting, all the heavy lifting. And anyway, I just got I got to do more and more of it. And as I said earlier, all my clients tended to be going through some kind of transition. So I developed a kind of a style. And I developed this really simple, if I had a whiteboard right now, I could get up and do it for you, I would. A really simple presentation that takes about 10 minutes where I talk about all of the things that will impact a brand that we can think of. You know, it might, might be a lot more discussion on any one of the pieces, but it's basically comes down to 
what we what can we do for ourselves and internally to change our brand? What about us? What do we want to improve to make our brand better? Externally, how do people see us and how do we adjust to that? Uh, strategically, what do we want to be when we grow up? Those are the what's we have to worry about. And then on a tactical side, how are we going to get there? And so it's, it's really kind of the law of intention and the law of attention, intention and attention. Branding is all about that. And the intention is the branding piece. The, the attention is the advertising. And so they were all connected to me uh, and it continues to call to me. Uh, it's, it's been a great run. I've never really done anything but this. I don't know what else I would do. Uh, I teach it. I mean, I write about it. I work at still. I'm working. I'm, I'm not, I can't think about retirement at all. I'm still pretty young. I got some grandkids and stuff going on. And I, I, I branding has been my life. It's been my blessing. Uh, Why is it so important? You know, it's because it's in a microscopic way. It's like what we've just been talking about. It's part of a journey. To brand is to say, it's like putting the, the seal on the cow. You're saying it's, there's something special about it. Eventually, the, the, the brands that they put on the cow to keep one uh, separated from the other started to mean something. And people started to articulate, okay, well, this cow is leaner than that cow. And, and up, over time, we just got so sophisticated that like everything matters. In a branding, everything matters. Nothing's in isolation. So why it's so important and why it keeps calling to me is that it's, it's part of life. Everything that we do is, is not isolated from anything else. And the other thing about branding, it's kind of a, it's a discipline more than anything. Pay attention to your own brand, how you do your, how you'd like do your TV shows, how you do your interviews. You've got something that obviously calls to you and you keep on doing it because it makes you happy. And, and also, you know, the other thing is that it makes the people that you talk to happy. You make me happy. You know, Sandy, what can I say? So that's like doing anything. When you find your calling, whatever it is, uh, you get really good at it. Then you can really start to enjoy the process. And so as much as I was a little bit nervous and excited about today, I realized I was going to be in good company. And, and so there's no fear. And I think in, a, in our own personal brands, when you come to grips with who you really are and there is no fear anymore, that's when you become, that's when you've really self-discovered. That's the transforming power of that. And that's what separates us from animals and other people that don't have that. Yeah. That, and that's a really important point. I mean, there are many people who, you know, maybe watching this, um, who want to write a book, start a business, um, you know, produce something um, who, think about branding, but don't know where to even begin. Mm. And one of the hardest things, I mean, you mentioned earlier is, you know, how do you come across to other people? What do other people think of you? Yeah. Um, and we really get to know what other people really think about us. Yeah. You know, in, in my definition of a brand, there's three pieces uh, in any company or any product you want to think of. There's the personality of the people that are making it because we inject our own piece of self into everything that we do. There's the actual characteristics of the product or the service, whatever that might be, the ingredients or the efficacy of it. And then there's the image of the user. What does it say about the people that are buying it? 
And if you if you can connect those dots, those three things, and pay attention to it, being authentic to the personality, and and not and being authentic in how you interpret the actual characteristics of the brand, the image of the user will always be a positive response, because you'll 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 have given them something that kind of actually calls to them and 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 feeds them. That's why we get so upset. Like if you go to a store and your brand's off the shelf that you really like. Why? Because you developed a relationship with it. And if you don't think brands are, you know, relationships are important in branding, think about the relationship that was violated when Coca-Cola introduced new Coke. You go to the office in Atlanta at Coca-Cola and you see thousands and thousands of notes and letters of people saying, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Changing my Coke. It's 100 years old. You're changing the formula? And, and they were pr pretty cocksure that it was going to be a success, but it only lasted about a week or so. And that and that's that's the science of it. They did everything right. They are the number one brand in the world. They had 300,000 interviews, spent gazillions of dollars testing it. They were convinced it was going to make a big difference. And it did. It made a big difference by upsetting the people that are already were using it, already mm -hmm. liking it. So our relationships, our brands, are those kinds of connections to people and things around us. Do you, you must have come across in your career, you must have come across companies who want you to rebrand them, create an image for them, and you know that it is completely inauthentic what they want to do, is not in alignment with how they do business or how they behave. What do you do then? Oh, you know, I've been really lucky but there are a couple of instances where I, I just could not finish. I, I, I literally, I went to the owner and I said, what you think you want to happen and what the people that work for you and the people that buy your product think are so out of line that I would be doing you a disservice if I helped you get there. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you right, I don't think you wanna get there. And it was a it was a hard conversation to have, uh, and it was actually I, I avoided having to tell her some really nasty things that I heard, just because part of my process is asking about the person that's running the show, and uh, I said I, I can't finish, and I, I left I left the project, and I didn't I didn't even send him a bill as I I learned so much. Because at the end of it, you know, a brand, a product, whatever it is, if it's, especially if it's a service as this was, is you coming through. It's what you are. And when you're not being honest with yourself, you're not going to get the kind of response you're looking for. Very People. true. Very yeah. true. Yeah. So piece of advice can you give to anyone who's listening, who's thinking, I've got to wrestle with this branding idea, you know, in order to sell my book or start my business or is there a little gold nugget that you could give them as a really good you know launch pad yeah you know i think uh, if you're if you're, especially if you're starting as a startup all entrepreneurs you know they have the great big idea and and the after they get the big idea the first thing that they do is they doubt that it's a big idea and I, my advice would be don't doubt that believe in it. Uh, because if you doubt it, you start to second guess yourself. And then you're doing things to appease other people 
as opposed to sticking with the real guts of the idea. Usually what we can think about, what we have uh, conceptually in our head is the best first way to go. And, and uh, if you change it too many times to our example of Coke, you're gonna, you're gonna have problems. So stay true to what got you there and I think you'll be okay. And if you want a second opinion on it, you can reach out to me. I'll be, I got plenty of second opinions. Do you to... do online courses for individuals, people? Uh, I can. I've done, I've done some seminars that way. You know, sometimes a company will say, can you do something that's just germane to us or unique to us? And we'll do a little seminar talking about, you know, how to kind of, usually it's because there's something changing in the brand of formula or something. Uh, and I also I also teach this at University of California in Irvine that we mm -hmm. still have courses and branding is one of the things that comes up in the discussion, even if it's not a branding course, because it's it's so significant a part of the overall piece of marketing, which mm -hmm. we, we couldn't exist without marketing. I'm convinced of that. OK, I'm going to put you on the spot now. OK, if there's one person in one public person in the world that you think needs <laughs> to be rebranding re themselves, who would it be and how would you do it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, well, the thing, the person I would think needs to be rebranded uh, wouldn't want to change. And I, and I think, uh, so let me think, oh my goodness. I would think, you know, the, the obvious one is, is to pick our, our former president, you know, uh, who is a branding genius uh, and, and really made it come to life. What, what he missed is the last piece of that equation. He understood who he was. He understood the pieces that's gonna make him successful, uh, but he didn't understand the image of the user and the implications of that. And as a leader in that job, it's, it's important to not be one dimensional and just follow what you want. It's important to be receptive to the needs of others. So it's, I wouldn't say that it's the kind of thing that's gonna get someone elected, but it's the kind of thing that'll keep you true to who you are. And, and I think that's what we seek in leaders and that's why it, there's, it created a lot of tension and that's why we're still suffering from that. And I, I'm not saying whether it was right or wrong, I'm just saying that when you, when you have that kind of, uh, influx of, of what's the word I'm thinking of it's just going to the disruptive influence every puts everybody on edge and when you're walking on eggshells something's going to break and I think that's we were there for quite a while uh, other than that I can't think of anybody that I there's lots of people I would emulate for their brands and how they think and I quote them all the time uh, but fixing people is tough we are we are pretty ingrained, uh, it, it, but there are there are times I've seen this an epiphany, especially when I'm working for somebody's company where they look back at their wake and see where they've been, and it's now instead of five employees, I've got one right now that I'm working on. It's been 11 years with them. We have 250. We're in four countries, and you say, "Oh my gosh, look what we did," and and you look at how you did it. All you did was stay true to what you were. Yeah. It's not rocket science. You can get there. There are no, there are no uh, big brands or small brands. There are only companies that are just starting and some that have been around for a while. Mm. 
So the bottom line is authenticity. Yeah, yeah. And, and people can call it. And then the other thing, too, about branding is once you believe it, then you're, you kind of follow that brand. It's hard to shake those beliefs. So somebody that's really good at branding themselves is going to have a lot of followers and those followers are going to stay no matter what. And we wonder why we can't have, can't have conversations. Well, that's why, because beliefs trump everything, yeah. you know, they do. And a, a branding, a, you know, the goal of branding is to make you believe in what I want you to believe in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. yeah it's a fascinating topic, branding. It is. Uh, it is. I could talk about it all day long if you got some time. <laughs> Another time. Okay. I, you okay. got it. Gary, thank you so much for adding your 10 best spiritual books to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's library of recommendations. It's been great fun speaking with you. And I hope everybody's learned a little bit about your expertise with branding because this is something that I don't think many people think about. Um, but is germane to all of us yeah thank you so much i've really enjoyed this uh it's gone fast i mean you're good you're really good thanks sandy i appreciate it very much oh you're welcome okay um we've got a few corrections i know to make to your um page on the website but if you want to go and read what uh, gary's written you will find his page on the website at the no bs spiritual book club Com. Um, that's it for this week. You can see all the videos in this series on the video page and on the website. And you can also sign up to be the first to know who's coming up next. And while you're there, if you know you have a book in you, but you don't know where to start, click on the Work With Me tab and find out how my experience helping others bring their books to light might help you birth yours. So that's it. I'll be back next week with another episode of... The 10 Best Spiritual Books. <laughs>